Assalamu alaikum. This is Abdurrahman Murphy, and you are listening to Heartwork, the Virtues of Good Friendship, taken from Imam al Ghazali's Ihya Ulum al the Revival of the Religious Sciences. In this series, we read and explore the eight characteristics that Imam al Ghazali has outlined as the foundation of being a virtuous friend. He builds off of verses in the Quran, hadith of the Prophet, وسلم, and stories of the righteous from our tradition, and we try to apply them in the context of contemporary real life examples. At roots, we have daily offerings for the community across a variety of demographics, focusing on social and spiritual growth. Your contribution helps us grow and allows us to provide more for you and your family and friends. Become a monthly sustainer at rootsdfw.org sustain, and please honor us with a visit to Dallas, Texas. Welcome home. Assalamu alaikum, bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wassalamu ala rasulillah. Welcome home, everybody. Alhamdulillah, it's good to see you. Uh, this beautiful, beautiful fire hazard, uh, I mean, gathering. <laughs> um, alhamdulillah. Uh, we're going to finish off the drinks that we got, mashallah. I just want to highlight something. You know, a lot of people talk about, um, like, teachers being, like, in the ivory tower. Like, oh, they don't interact with people. And imams and scholars are, like, you know, you don't even see them. Ustada Fatima, who is back there specifically making your cold foam, that was her role tonight. She was the cold foamer. She is one of four uh, full-time female instructors at the Qalam Seminary, which is upstairs. And she teaches Tafsir Jalalain, mashallah, which is a serious deal, alhamdulillah. And she is a graduate of the, of the seminary. She is an, an alima. And she's back there making cold foam. Ustad Ubaidullah in the blue Moroccan thobe, dashing, mashallah. Steaming your milk, pu- pulling your shots with none other than Mu'ayyid, our mentor from Pax and Beneficia. This is, this is true khidmah, right? And, and none of them, uh, as of yet, are being paid. <laughs> so uh, we just, you know, Allah will pay you, brother, inshallah, okay? <laughs> so, um, Ustad al and if you enjoy the chai that we have, that's Ustad al recipe. The reason I'm sharing this is not to embarrass them and not to put them on blast, but just to show you that what community service does, right? Anyone in any position is good enough to do anything, and anything is good enough for them to do. Whether it's putting ice in people's cups or mixing sugar and milk in a frother, that's, that's the way that we operate. And so when we come to the community, it's really important to not come with a sense of entitlement. It's really important to walk in and say, I want to, I want to benefit people as much as I want to be benefited, okay? And so, mashallah, may Allah bless them. And obviously there's Batul up front, the voice of American Airlines. Uh, that's a joke. She, she actually did have to record a, a message for them. But anyways, she's been there, mashallah, working hard, driving all the way uh, from South Arlington, where she lives every week, mashallah. So may Allah bless them. And may Allah bless everybody. We have all of our students that set up your chairs and that collect your chairs nicely afterwards. And it's just great, mashallah. It's such a wonderful experience. And I really appreciate all of you. I love all of you for the sake of Allah. Alhamdulillah. Um, and then Abdurrahman Beg running parking tonight. Sorry. Okay. I'm getting emotional. Alrighty, let's continue. We're on the fifth right of uh, brotherhood and sisterhood of friendship. And we're talking about the right of forgiveness, overlooking someone's mistakes. And this is the, 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 the part that Imam Ghazali gets very, you can, you can sense his emotion. Right? Last week he was basically saying, very emotionally, he said, you can't just exclude somebody from your life. You can't just cut them out. Right? You have to work on trying to find a way to keep people in your life at any capacity, 
right? We don't, as Muslims, ever just say, you know what? This person who believes in the same faith that I believe in, they are non-existent to me now. That's not how we operate, okay? And the, the proofs he gave are many. Um, but one of the next proofs that he presents, I love this proof. I love this proof because this proof, it indicates something from the Qur'an which is so powerful. And this is why, again, even like a very, very surface level relationship with the Qur'an is so beneficial. Okay? So he says, fellowship is a bond of flesh, like the bond of blood kinship. When you become friends with somebody, you become close to them and they almost can become like family. In fact, how many of you have friends that are virtually like family, if not even closer to you than some of your family members? So there are some family members that are a little bit further away than some of your friends. And this is, again, it's not, a, it's not necessarily a bad thing. You got some of the brothers dapping each other up. I love it, mashallah. Right? Okay? Like, yeah, boy. And the brother's crying next to him. So this is, one of the, this is one of the realities. Allah created us with an ability to connect with people, even if we're not necessarily related by blood. We can connect with them. And this is why our faith brings us closer than anything else. The Prophet Sallallahu community was something that was so tight-knit, it was bound together, and very few of the people that were so tight-knit and close to each other were phys- uh, uh, you know, related, uh, uh, familially related, right? They were friends, they were brothers, they were companions, okay? So, sorry, let me go over here real quick. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Okay. Please hold. Okay. So he says, and it is not permissible, it is not permissible in Islam to shun somebody, to cut them out as a result of what they did to you. We talked about this. Some people came up after last class and said, what if they did this? What if they did that? Remember the key. And if this is your first time here, I want you to remember this. What we're reading, what we're learning are the general expectations. This is how we should treat generally the people in our life. Are there cases where someone did something so offensive and so wrong where you might be allowed to say, you know what, my boundary is going to be a lot firmer and a lot taller. Like that fence is going to be a lot taller. Yeah, you're allowed to do that, right? What's the bare minimum that a person has to do? The bare minimum is you have to engage in responding to the person, their salam. That's the bare minimum. But things like the silent treatment, things like going, going, ghosting somebody for like months at a time, that's not from Islam. If they say salam alaikum to you, by the way, when my mom used to ignore me, I used to say salam alaikum to her. <laughs> just to kind of break that, right? And then she, would, she, wouldn't, she wouldn't respond sometimes. I'd say salam alaikum mama, no response. So I'd say, لا يحل لمؤمن which is the hadith. It's not permissible for a believer to make hijra from their brother for more than three days. And I texted her on like the, 70, uh, uh, you know, the 73rd hour, like 1 a.m. I'm like, Salaam alaikum, mama. Right? And then she said, Waikum salam. But the problem is that resets now. So now every three days. Okay? So this is when I was uh, uh, not so acha bacha. Okay? So he says, Thus God exalted as he said to his Prophet, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, Concerning his kinsfolk, concerning his people, he said to him, If they disobey you, if they disobey you, then فَقُلْ إِنِّي بَرِئٌ مِمَّا تَعْمَلُونَ Amazing nuance. He says, Allah told the Prophet ﷺ to say, I am free of what you have done or what you do. He did not tell him to say, I am free of you. 
inni bari'um minkum. Right? Big difference. Mimma ta'amaloon minkum. Huge difference. Because if Allah gave the Prophet ﷺ allowance and permission to say, you know what, you and me, we're done. Then the Prophet ﷺ could have gone and cut so many people out of his life. And what would that do? What would families look like if Allah allowed us to just cut people out? What would friendship, what would community look like? It would be so fractured. It would have no, there'd be no consistency. So instead, Allah instructed the Prophet ﷺ, and of course by instructing him, instructed us, what? You're allowed to, if someone did something really, really egregious, you're allowed to separate yourself, but you should never ever assign the sin to the essence of the person. Right? As they say, hate the sinner, hate the sin, Allah. Hate the sin, not the sinner, right? This is what happens, you try to borrow phrases. Hate the sin, not the sinner. We don't assign the sin to that person. Even subhanAllah, we, we learn like, you don't call someone like a thief. You can say someone who stole, right? As Muslims, we don't essentialize people by their mistakes. We don't identify people by their mistakes. You know, have you guys ever heard of a, a you know, person first language? A lot of people are, you're taught this in like the workplace, right? So you don't say, you know, a, a blank person. You say a person with this, a person who is this or who does this, okay? That's how we should approach behaviors, especially bad behaviors. Good behaviors, it's fine. This person is a, is a prayer, they pray, right? But if a person is late to places, if a person has trouble controlling their, their, their gossip and things like that, you don't say this person's a gossiper. How are they supposed to grow out and shed that label now? The way that you address that is you might say, hey, be careful. This person, they have a little bit of trouble con- containing the secrets that people give them. What a, what a classy way to still give the same warning. Many people come up here after class and say, how do I warn against people, right? As if we want to put sirens on people's heads. You know how you do it? You do it in a way that's so creative that the person has to like think about what you're saying. Right? Instead of saying that this person has this problem, they talk so much, blah, 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 all that. Because now, what it, and I tell this, by the way, you know who especially struggles with this? Can I be real with you? Couples who tell their spouse about their friend's business. If I talk to my wife about my friends, and I say, man, they may be so upset. They did this, 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 this. The next day my friend comes and apologizes to me, I don't go and tell my I don't go and update my wife. It's not exciting. Guess what happened today? What he said sorry. <laughs> it's not exciting, right? The only thing she knows is that so and so did this, so and so made my husband mad, so and so this, this, this. And that person, even if you forgave them, you've now caused like this, this wave of anger within you know your friends, your spouse, your sibling, whoever. And and it's hard to correct that. Because then you have to go back and eat your words. You have to be the one that humbles yourself and say, you know what, I told you that, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that. And you have to go and say, promise me you're going to forget that. Promise me. So always think, not twice, not three times, think a hundred times before you divulge the mistakes that somebody made to somebody else because you have no clue what the future holds. Right? The Prophet said, Men samata naja. Whoever is quiet, they're saved. They're successful. They made it. Why? Because you very rarely are going to be apologetic for the things that you didn't say. Okay? Imam Ghazali says. Okay? Why did he say that? Having regard for duty of kinship and the bond of blood relationship. To this, Abu Dardat referred when he was asked, Do you not hate your brother when they do such and such? Don't you hate when so and so does this? Someone's trying to stir the pot a little bit. Right? Someone's spilling the tea. 
and Abu Darda. Remember who he was? Abu Darda. He was the one that was opposite of Abu Dhar in the opinion of how to handle this. He said, I only hate what he has done. Otherwise, he's still my brother. I only hate what they've done. I wish they didn't do that. Otherwise, we're still good. If he calls me for a ride, I'll give him a ride. If he needs to call and talk to me, I'll talk to him. I'll listen to him. I'll be there for him. Brotherhood and religion is firmer than brotherhood and kinship. Sometimes, subhanAllah, if you have an attachment to somebody that's based on the things that you're going through in your faith, it can actually create a bond that is even stronger than sometimes even the relationship that people have in their family. And you know how the Prophet ﷺ, or you know how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, how he illustrated this to us, is he t- gave us examples. The Prophet ﷺ, what was the situation with his uncle? What was the situation with some of his family members? Right? Tabbat yada abi lahabin wa tab. SubhanAllah, you have these people that were part of his inner circle. Okay? You even have, unfortunately, his, his, his uncle, uh, Abu Talib. Right? You have some of these people that they didn't quite accept. Look at Nuh السلام, and his son. Look at Lut السلام, and his family. Look at Ibrahim السلام, and his family. Allah gave count. Look at Yusuf and the, and the beginning with his brothers. Right? And we, we, we read that story almost like a children's book. Uh, Yusuf went out one day, right? His brothers threw him in a well. Oh no, like, that's not how it was. That's not how it was. Have you guys ever genuinely thought you were going to die? Have you ever genuinely, most people have never been in an experience like that, where they genuinely thought, this is it. This is it. Yusuf's brothers put him into a position where he genuinely thought he was going to die. And the only reason, the tafsir says, the only reason why he didn't lose hope was because Allah used to send, as Tafsir ibn Kathir says in Imam Qurtubi says, Allah used to send Jibreel to him to remind him, you're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. And then eventually the traders came and saved him from there only to sell him into slavery, subhanAllah. So there are some people in your life. Now, I'm not saying go home now and call your sister or your brother and say, hey, we're not that close. <laughs> right? We never pray together. That's not, this, this text is not meant to be a prescription. It's not prescribing you to go and try to start fights. It's meant to be a description. He's saying, hey, there may be some of you, not all of you, that in your family, there is distance because of practice of faith. Maybe someone's uncle calls you, oh, Maulvi Saab, right? You walk in, and they're not saying it nicely. You walk in, they're like, oh, Sheikh, come on, give us a fatwa, right? And you walk in, you're like, I just pray, like, I don't even pray five times a day. I just try to pray, like, once a day, and you're calling me Sheikh, right? You're, you're, you're making fun of me because I'm trying, SubhanAllah, some people go through this. May Allah Ta'ala help us. This is difficult to be ridiculed and mocked because of your faith. A sister starts wearing hijab, which is an amazing thing, and all of a sudden now gets called out. Oh, you think you're more religious than everybody. SubhanAllah. For, sometimes from your own flesh and blood, they'll say that. When your friends will be the ones that are like, fire emoji. Yes, girl. Get it, right? And they'll send you, you know, uh, 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 what is it? Gift cards to, to Anna Hariri and all these places, Okay. Just so you can redo that wardrobe a little bit. Sometimes it's the people that you, you weren't born with that will support you more than the ones that you're born with. Okay? May Allah protect us. So he says, brotherhood and religion. Now, if family and religion come together, that's the best. Right? Brotherhood and religion is firmer than brotherhood and kinship. When a wise man was asked, who is dearer to you, your brother or your friend? He says, I only love my brother if he is a friend to me. I only love my brother if he's, if he's a friend to me. Right? Which means that you have to be able to have those standards. Al-Hassan used to say, how many brother was not born from your mother? We have that phrase in English, brother from another mother. It was originated by Al-Hassan. How many brothers do you have that were from a different mother? 
right? Subhanallah. So this is an example of how kinship and fulfillment of that relationship can be stronger even than a person's family relationship, okay? Um, all right, let's go over here. Now he gives a final warning before we get to the next section. The evidence for our view is that it is neither blameworthy nor reprehensible to avoid initiating brotherhood and fellowship. Indeed, some authorities hold that it is preferable to go one own, one's own way. But as for interrupting the continuance of brotherhood, this is forbidden and intrinsically blameworthy. So he says you cannot cut someone off cold. It stands in relation to initial avoidance, like divorce to the avoidance of marriage. Divorce being more hateful to God than avoidance of marriage. The Prophet said, the worst of God's creatures are those who spread slander, separating dear ones. So think about that. Translate that now to friendships. He's saying that, think about divorce. Allah says that a, a relationship breaking apart is a really tough thing. Divorce is a really challenging thing. And if you've been through it in this community, may Allah Ta'ala help you. May Allah Ta'ala give you strength. May Allah Ta'ala give you, inshallah, a, 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 a relationship with somebody that fulfills you, that's compatible with you. Divorce is very difficult. Right? Even people that, like, they're like, oh, I'm better off now, but there's still those moments. Right? We should be supportive. We shouldn't be stigmatizing of divorce. If somebody has gone through it, we should, we should gather around them and hold them up and support them. But even in that moment of divorce, Allah doesn't love divorce. But even in that moment, He says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that divorce is better than prolonging the pain and slandering and keeping the drama going. It's better to cut it off than it is to keep burning each other. He says the same thing for friendship, okay? He says this is because causing separation between loved ones is one of the things that is dear to Satan, just as the commission of sin is dear to him. If Satan gains one of his objects, the second should not be added. The Prophet ﷺ alluded to this when a man maligned another who had committed an abomination, for he checked him saying, do not be shaitan's aid against your brother. Don't be shaitan's aid against your brother. Okay, so we'll go ahead and conclude this chapter now. I think he, he goes on for a little bit about, uh, uh, oh, actually, no, we're going to read this part. This is a really good part. Okay, how many of you have ever been wronged by your friend? Raise your hand. A friend, not like an enemy. Okay, good, that's good. Not a lot of people, mashallah. You got good friends, okay? Uh, the bad news is it'll probably happen at some point in life. Someone that you consider a friend will wrong you. Have you, got, have you forgiven them? What did it take to forgive that person? Was it quick? Was it, did it take a long time? Was it easy? Was it difficult? Anyone want to share? How did you come to the point of forgiveness? Yeah. So for me, uh, I'm not going to go into the details of what happened. Yes, don't. The thing, I, <laughs> the thing that I thought of was I definitely made sins knowingly and unknowingly. And if I can't forgive a fellow Muslim, then I think, how can I expect Allah to forgive me? Mm. Yeah, exactly. One of the benefits of forgiving is that you're like, maybe if I forgive, Allah will forgive me. And that's, that's the one that I use when I'm like at the end of my rope. When I'm like, I have no reason to forgive this person. And then I think to myself, maybe on the day of judgment when I need it the most, this person will come and say, oh Allah, they forgave me, so forgive them. Right? Forgive, pardon. Wouldn't you love Allah forgive you? Remember, Abu Bakr Siddiq is being told this about someone who perpetuated a rumor about his own daughter. Not any rumor, a horrible rumor. Perpetuated it. Hey, did you hear what she did? Did you hear who she hooked up with? Can you imagine someone said that about your, your, your family? Right? And Abu Bakr is being told by Allah, hey, you, you are in the right, but forgive. Because if you forgive, then Allah Ta'ala will forgive you. Anyone else is forgiven? Want to share the experience a little bit? Yeah. 
Forgiven when? Sorry? You'll forgive them after the halakah. Oh, okay, good. I'm happy. I'd like royalties for that, inshallah, okay? Make sure you cite me when you forgive them. I'm forgiving you. Why? Because Hagrid told me to, right? You're a wizard, Harry. Okay, so... I'm just going to highlight this because, I, inshallah, we'll get some retranslation done. So, uh, Imam Ghazali says that... Uh, uh, <laughs> Imam Ghazali says that if you don't get angry, there's something wrong with you. Meaning that everyone has their sensitivities. Okay? And he says that if a man is provoked and does not get angry, he is a donkey. Ha, ah, all of you. All of you bad people want me to say that word, right? He is a himar. He's a donkey. If a man has cause for pleasure and is not pleased, he is a devil. He says, so don't be a donkey or a devil. Give your heart cause to be pleased with yourself as your brother's deputy. Beware of being a devil if you fail to accept. Okay? So, and then he shares some statements here. The duty of one's friend is to bear three things. When they get wrong with you, when they get angry with you, like when you make them upset, you just have to own it. You know one of the worst things you can do when you upset somebody? Is get upset at them for getting upset with you. It's so paradoxical. It doesn't make any sense. Why you get mad? Because you did that. Don't be mad. It's not religious to be mad. Well, it's not religious to yell at somebody who's upset. Right? It's not from Islam. Okay, relax. You may not be the one to talk about what's from Islam because you back with that person, right? So he says the, the wrong of, of, of being angry, you have to deal with that, okay? The wrong of over-familiarity, like sometimes your friends are going to do a little bit too much, right? I'll never forget one time, I made a huge mistake, guys. I made a huge mistake. You know, leftovers are one thing. And if he's watching, I want to apologize again to my friend Ibrahim in Baltimore. <laughs> leftovers are one thing, but you never touch a person's leftover chocolate cake. <laughs> Ever. I mean, you can eat their leftover burger, tacos, pizza, whatever. But if a person has double chocolate cake in their fridge and you're spending the night at their house and they say, hey, whatever's in the fridge, you go for it. Don't touch the cake. <laughs> that is, there's istithna there. There's an exception. They don't want you to touch that. I know because I ate it, okay? Because <laughs> at my friend's house, he's like, hey man, if you're hungry, go ahead and eat. I'm like, all right. I go look, there's food, and I'm like, oh, that cake looks really good. And right next to it, milk. I'm like, this is nasib. You know people talk about nasib for marriage? This is nasib for me. And I ate it, almost all of it. Uh, I don't like icing, so I left the icing. <laughs> the icing was about three inches tall. And the perspective, bichado, when the guy opened the fridge was that the icing was first. So he goes, oh, my cake is still there. Then he turns it, and it's like one of those magic tricks. So then he comes over and looks at me. He's like, not only did you eat the cake, he said, you left the icing. It's like you killed me twice. Because I thought I had a chance. All right? I saw the box was messed up. I was like, oh, man. I looked in. I saw oh, it's still there. And then I saw it's not there. Now all I have is icing. Okay? So sometimes over-familiarity is a thing. You don't want to be a burden on somebody. Right? You don't want to be a burden on somebody. Don't be late with people just because they're friends. Oh, it's fine. Let them know, hey, I'm running late. There's no shame in that. Keep your adab even with close friends. It'll only increase their respect for you. It'll only increase their love for you if you keep your etiquette with them. You know what they'll say to you? You say, hey, I'm so sorry. They'll say, why are you apologizing? We're close. You say, no, no, no. I want... Because in reality, if I do this over and over and over again, we're not going to be close anymore. So I'm going to keep up this adab with you. And the third thing he said is the wrong of failings. If you think your friends are never going to fail you, then man... You gotta be friends with angels then, that's it. Every other person's gonna make mistakes. Every other person's gonna let you down. You can't hold it against people. You can't, okay? Um, all right, let's continue, inshallah. The sixth duty, inshallah. 
this is, um, this, is, this is pretty powerful. This is real stuff. Because now Imam Ghazali is going to exit the time that we have together on this earth. And he's going to separate us. And he's going to say, some of you will get to the point where, and it's a weird thing. Heart work's weird because it's not the college halakas anymore. And it's not even like the young people. There's a point now where you're starting to get a little bit older. And I was talking to my good friend Ustad Abedla over there and I was telling him one of the difficulties of getting older is that it's not even about your friend's parents and their loved ones passing away, but eventually it's actually your friends passing away. Like you get to a point where it's not unheard of that someone, you know, I'm 35, so someone who's 40 could be my friend. I know you guys are like, wow. You guys hang out in the retirement home together, like old, you know? Someone who's 40, someone who's in their mid-40s could be a friend of mine. Late 40s, 50s, right? And it's, it's not unheard of that a person in that stage of their life gets a diagnosis or suddenly, tragically passes away. I mentioned before a couple, few, couple months back, Dr. Salman, Allah had mercy on him, passed away in, some, in, in, in November. He was a friend. We were, at, we were at the Mavs game the week before. And you hear about people who pass away and it shocks you. You wake up and the first thing you see is their picture and you're almost like, I don't, there's a mistake. There has to be a mistake. I was just with them. They were healthy. And so Imam Ghazali now, he ventures off into this chapter where he says, how many of you can be good friends not only in the dunya but when your friend leaves the dunya? How many of you can take care of your friends when they're not here anymore? It's a really powerful question. Because that means that your friendship is not transactional. A lot of us are friends because we're, our friends are going to do for us what we do for them. What do you do for your friends when they can't do anything for you? How do you treat their families when they can't call you and say thanks? How do you treat them in your dua when you can't tell them you made dua for them with your voice? This is what he's going to talk about. He said the sixth duty for your brother is praying for them during their life, making dua for them, but also after their death that they might have all they wish for themselves, their family, and their dependents. He said you should pray for them as you pray for yourself. You should pray for them as you pray for yourself, making no distinction at all between you and them. For in reality, your prayer for them is a prayer for yourself. The Prophet ﷺ said, whenever a person prays for their brother or sister, an angel, or in secret, an angel says, and to you the same. So amazing. Allah's storehouses are unlimited. If you are praying and you're deciding in a moment, do I pray for my friend or myself? Pray for them. If you only pray for yourself, you left them out. If you pray for them, you included both of you. This is if you believe in the, in the promise of the Prophet ﷺ, right? Every time you pray for somebody else for what they want, you're not wasting time. That's the interesting thing. I was just at Umrah. And this person comes up to me and they said, I'm so worried, I only have this amount of time, who do I make dua for? And I quoted this and I said, make dua for everybody else because you're including yourself. If you spend the whole tawaf talking about yourself, then you have to go lie to everybody. Yeah, I made dua for you. Me? Specifically? Yeah. When you really said, oh Allah, specifically that person, I don't know who who's asking, right? Give them whatever they want. But if you actually take time to remember your friends in those moments, and Ramadan's coming up, eight weeks, y'all. May Allah give us Ramadan. Eight weeks, can you imagine? SubhanAllah. The best part about the lunar calendar is every year it gets shorter a little bit. <laughs> 11 days, right? Ramadan's getting closer and closer. So it's going to be March this year. Ramadan's going to be in March. Okay? And for, you know, for anyone who has to make up fast, get on it quick. 
Okay, you got eight weeks. Okay, inshallah. So he says, whenever a person prays for their brother in secret, the angel says, and to you, amin. So I better be hearing a lot of people making dua for their friends to get married, to get jobs, to have happiness, to may Allah put barakah in their life, because you, that proves that you believe in the promise of the Prophet. In another version, his words are that God will say, I begin with you. Because you took the time to pray for them, Allah says, you're going to get first dibs. Because you showed that trust in the process. According to the tradition, a man's prayer on behalf of another person will be answered. Whereas the one they make for themselves will not be answered. So I can sit there and beg Allah, Allah, please give this to me, please give this to me. And somehow, some way, something I did, some deed is holding that dua back. It's staying right here in my hands. And I'm asking Allah, but I've maybe committed so many mistakes and I'm, I'm so distant from Allah and I'm not, I'm not parallel, I'm not spiritually true. I make dua and then I go and I neglect myself. So I have something that's blocking me for some reason. But subhanAllah, the, the Salaf, they said, maybe, just maybe, you pray for your friend and just by the virtue of the fact that you included them, Allah says, okay, both of you get it. It's powerful, right? Don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. Don't be greedy, okay? A man's prayer for their brother in secret is never rejected. Abu Darda used to say, I pray for 70 of my brothers during prostration, naming them by names. A lot of you are like, how long did that take? 70? Some of us are like medical students who are like, that's not good for his head. The blood rush, he could faint, right? Sometimes you've got to turn off the, the, the nerdiness when it comes to reading books. Okay? He used to pray. And 70, by the way, in Arabic is also a number that's it's, it's hyperbolic. It can mean a bunch. It can mean more than that. So Abu Dardat used to sit there. By the way, I had a friend. He's a really good friend of mine, Sheikh Omar Hadruj. And I used to catch him in the masjid at night. We used to... We used to um, have keys. This also may, might be why I got expelled. We used to have keys to the masjid facility because there was a gym. Anyways, long story short, just leave the gym unlocked, right, for the kids. And we used to walk in, and we used to go and get our, you know, get dressed or whatever, play ball. And we would see Omar in the masjid. It's completely dark, and he's in sajda. So when you read stuff like this, you're like, who does that? I can tell you. I had a friend, not me, but I had a friend who did it, and he was remembering me. So I'm, I'm about covered, you know. You got my back, right? But how many of you are going to be that friend for your friends this Ramadan? How many of you are going to... And, and, and keep it secret. Let it all be found out of the Day of Judgment. Let it be known then. You get there at that time and you tell them, you say, Day of Judgment, when you guys are holding hands going to Jannah, you're like, you know what? That one Ramadan, I prayed for you. And that might be the reason that both of us are walking in together. May Allah Ta'ala accept. Muhammad ibn Yusuf al-Isfahani used to say... Where is the like of a virtuous brother? And he's talking about this. It's kind of intense, so just get ready. He says, sometimes your family, after you pass away, they like divide up your inheritance. right? They fight over the money you left. They enjoy what you leave behind. He says, while your friend is sitting alone, missing your company. He's not talking, I don't want everyone to go home and if you've got kids, you're like, I don't like you anymore. <laughs> right? But he's just saying, he's like, you know, sometimes your friends are there for you in moments and they understand you and even the people that are supposed to be closest to you don't get it. Interested in what you have achieved and what has become of you. Praying for you in the darkness of the night while you lie under layers of earth. Wallahi, guys, I, I read this book for the first time 15, uh, 12 years ago. And some of these statements, I didn't get it. Since then, I've had a lot of friends die. A lot. You know, 10, 15 people that I know. In my phone, I can go look at our last messages. And I promise you, you wonder about them. 
Like, it's something that's real. And if anyone here who's lost somebody, you know what I'm talking about. You really think about them. You wonder, like, what, what are they going through? You sit and you gather with other people that knew them, and you talk and you just sit. It's almost like a halakha about them. Like, you miss them so much. And you just talk about them and you wonder, in this moment, are they, do they know what's happening? And Allah tells us, and the, angel, the Prophet tells us that Allah allows the angels to go and deliver good news to, to the people that are under the ground. That they get the information. Hey, your friends are remembering you. Right? So Islam is so beautiful because it gives us that coping mechanism. But it's still tough, man. It's still tough. Look at the friends around you today and ask yourself, which one are you going to pray for me if I die? Imam Ghazali, in another book, he says that one of the things that's really tough is that you have a lot of friends, but not many of them call you when, when you're sick, not many of them visit you when you're in the hospital, not many of them are going to show up to your janazah and carry you to the grave, and not many of them are going to sit after, and they're going to pray for you after the last bit of dirt has hit the top of your resting place. That's, that's a real friend. That's a real friend. Right? So surround yourself with the people that aren't going to stop being friends with you when you, when, as, when you die. They're going to keep being friends with you. And there's ways he talks about that. It seems that this virtuous brother follows in the steps of the angels. For according to the tradition, when a man dies, people ask, what did they leave behind? But the angels say, what have they achieved? They rejoice in his achievement and ask after him and show compassion for him. It is said that when a person on hearing of their brother or sister's death asks for mercy of them, and begs for forgiveness of them, that it is written in their favor as if they attended the funeral and prayed over them. If you've ever had someone who passed and you couldn't go to their janazah, and you felt so heartbroken by that, right, relative or family or friend, you, if you take time out to have your own moment of du'a for that person, then you're counted as amongst the people that went to their prayer. This is from the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It is related that God's Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, that the dead person in their grave is like the one who is shipwrecked. What does it mean to be shipwrecked, y'all? You're helpless. That when the son of Adam dies, when the daughter of Adam dies, all of their deeds have stopped. You know how you plan to do stuff? One day I'll make hajj. And now it's not even about us. Now it's like one day Saudi will let me make hajj. Pick me, please, right? One day I will do this. One day I'll start praying. One day I'll put on the hijab. One day I'll, one day I'll reconcile with my parents. One day. There's going to come a time where all of the possibility of aspiration is going to end. And you're going to look and you're going to say, why didn't I do it? And so all of us are going to have regrets. Every single one. In the grave we're going to say, I could have just gone back. The Quran tells us this. Oh Allah, just let us go back and have one more chance. Oh Allah, return me. Just give me one day. I promise you I'll live that day perfectly. And Allah is going to tell us that you had your chance. You're asking for one day. You had years. You had decades. And now you're asking for one day. And the irony is that he says, if you went back, you'd do the same thing. You're a creature of habit. You didn't change your behavior then. What makes you think it's going to change now? So he says that the dead person in their grave is like a shipwrecked person. They're sitting there and they have no resources, no help. Every day, what do they do? They sit out there at the edge of the, the shore and they stare. Maybe someone on the ship will see me. Maybe I can get their attention. Maybe they can call for help. So he says that they are completely dependent for everything. They wait for a prayer from a son or a brother or some kind of relative. This is why the Prophet ﷺ says, إِلَّا مِنْ ثَلَاثِ A good deed 
that they taught somebody. There's three things that help somebody after they pass away. Number one is that if the friend taught somebody else, or if this person taught somebody else something, every time you act on that, then that person gets rewarded in their grave. And I'll tell you in a second, beautiful narration. The second thing is when a person prays for somebody, the son praying for the father or the mother, etc., the siblings praying for this person, or the third is some sadaqah jariyah for this person. Whether it's actually like building a well or a school, donating on their behalf, or whether it is just doing some good deed with them in mind. Ibn al-Qayyim says something amazing. How many of you have lost somebody before? Grandparent, parent, sibling, okay, friend. How many of you feel disconnected? In a way. It's tough. You can't call them anymore. You can't text them anymore. It's my greatest fears. One of my greatest fears is calling people I love and knowing they can't pick up. Not that they won't, but they can't. Islam gives us this amazing opportunity to realize that we're still connected. Ibn al-Qayyim, he quotes in his book on death, he talks about how when the person passes away, they are still kept in contact, even though it's not like what we consider normal. It's not human contact, but he says that there's still a connection. What's the connection? The connection is that when a person thinks about the other individual who's under the ground, they can't do anything for themselves anymore. When that person thinks about that person and they do a good deed. So they're sitting in the masjid after roots on a Monday, they prayed Isha, and they just think about their grandparents or they think about their relative or whoever passed. I was just with somebody, subhanAllah. Man, it's heavy, man. You don't know what people are carrying. I was just with somebody, I'm not going to say his name, but he's so, mashallah, by, by, all, the, by all, the, um, all the means of success that we think about, he's like super successful. First of all, he's a doctor, mashallah, shabash. Okay, well, relax, everyone's so serious. That was a joke, right? It's okay if you're not a doctor, right, guys? Teardrop. Okay, no. <laughs> No, my mom wanted me to be... My mom, actually, my brother became a doctor, and she's like, okay, you can't become a doctor now. I was like, what? She's like, imam. I was like, no, right? <laughs> she's like, he's already got it taken care of. Now you. So what about a doctor in Islamic studies? She said, that's garbage. Um, so he's a physician, extremely successful, and on top of that, one of the biggest hospital systems in his area, and on top of that... He, grad, he grew and became like the admin of like all of these hospitals across the country. So now he's not only clinical, now he goes and also admin, he's administrator, right, for a lot of these hospitals, mashallah. Very successful, right? And I grew up, I knew this guy growing up. He was someone that I looked up to, he used to give khutbahs, loved him, loved him dearly. Older brother to me. And uh, he's, you know, like I said, he's probably in his early 50s now. It's just kind of weird that I have to admit that about my friends. Early 50s. I'll never forget, subhanAllah, you know, we were talking and he reminded me that 12 years ago he lost his 13-year-old daughter. Sorry, 13 years ago he lost his 12-year-old daughter. He goes, it would be her birthday next month, she would have been 25. And he's a doctor. She had this terminal illness. He knew. He knew. And he told me, we're driving, this, ha- this was on Saturday. I'm in Chicago, I was teaching and he picked me up and we're driving and he said, I'm just... He goes, I'm not, I'm not in a bad place. I'm not like suicidal. He said, but I just can't wait until I can see her again. He goes, every day. Just put my head down. Can't wait. I don't know. Maybe it's having kids that makes you soft. <laughs> but you think like, this guy's got 50 years, more money than you can imagine. 
more success than you could hope for. And every day, he doesn't care what he drives or where he lives. <laughs> he's looking forward to the day when he's resting. That's, that's, that's powerful, right? So you think, this person who's under, they, they have no help. They have no help except for what? Except for the people that are connected to them. So I told him this narration, you ready? When you do something good on behalf of somebody who's passed, Ibn al-Qayyim says that he narrates, according to the Prophet this angel shows up with feasts, food and desserts and everything. And the person says, what is this? And they're told by the angels, what do you mean? This is because your father or your brother or your child or your grandchild, they took a moment and they remembered your name in front of Allah. They donated on your behalf because of Allah, to a, to a cause for the sake of Allah, but because of you. SubhanAllah. And this person gets told, like, you're going to see them again, but this is your, here's your appetizer in the meantime. And every time you do good, your beloved, your, your loved ones, they get, to, they get the reward of that. So we're not disconnected. You miss them, that's part of the dunya. You're going to miss them. But you're not disconnected, right? Be there for the one who's shipwrecked. Someone called you and said, I had a flat tire, right? If your grandparents called you, they were alive today, and they said, I have, a flat, I have a flat tire, come get me. You'd be like, I'm on my way. I'm coming. They may not be here anymore, but they need you, right? Help them. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us people that help those who have left. Truly, lights like mountains enter the tombs of the dead from the prayer of the living. One of the early believers said, prayers for the dead are on the same footing as gifts for the living. Oh, here we go. There's a narration. He includes it too. The angel goes into the dead with the tray of light, bearing a cloth of light. This is a gift for you from your brother or sister so-and-so, from your relative so-and-so. And he delights in it just as a living man rejoices in a gift. Whatever they wanted in this life, they're going to get it there. What kind of food did, you, did your grandparents love? I was talking to a sister today. She said something so funny. I'm just going to share it. She said, man, hopefully he's going to get all the Philly cheesesteaks he wanted. It's funny. You think about it, right? Allah will send whatever it is that they loved in this life. Right? Keep praying for those people. Don't forget them. There's nothing worse than being forgotten, subhanAllah. Wow, that was a quick chapter, huh? We finished it. We ask Allah Ta'ala to purify our hearts. We ask Allah Ta'ala to, to make our hearts clean, just like we clean everything else in our life. Oh Allah, let our hearts be clean. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make our hearts those that remember Him. We ask Allah Ta'ala to make us people that have the virtues of good friendship that we take care of our friends in this life, that we don't become upset with them, that we don't burden them, and that we remember them even after they have passed. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to always be people that remember those who have passed, and then we ask Allah that He reunite us together with those that we loved with the company of the Prophet Sallallahu in the highest levels of paradise. Ameen, ameen, ya rabbil alameen. Subhanakallahu bihamdik. Nashadu wa illa ant. Nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk. Jazakum wa khair, everybody.